says scheduling go. All right, we are live. Mark Thurman, how you doing? Randy, Randy, I'm doing great. How are you, man? Excellent. Excited to have you here for our uh, number 45 Tech Sales Insights uh, episode. Uh, Mark Thurman, COO of uh, Tenable. Uh, we actually figured out, I guess we really technically never really uh, worked together, but certainly know of each other, have collaborated on some things over the years, and uh, certainly have a uh, fantastic reputation professionally, personally. So uh, look forward to the next uh, 50 minutes or so here with you. That's awesome, Randy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, very, very happy to be spending some time with you. All right. Awesome. So let's uh, you know dive in, maybe uh, you know briefly just go through your uh, professional background. Sure. Yeah, let me kind of give you the Reader's Digest version. So I um, started my career off early in the, in the mid-90s at Abbott Laboratories, um, selling hematology, clinical chemistry, immunoassay, laboratory equipment. Uh, quickly transitioned to the software world. So uh, then went to work for PTC, uh, kind of a legendary Boston-based company. Uh, worked at PTC, had a bunch of different assignments around the globe for PTC. Uh, then got recruited over to EMC in 2000 and spent 15 years at EMC in a bunch of different roles. Uh, one of the last roles I had there was running and leading the RSA uh, security business. Then went to Click, uh, spent a couple years at Click and got acquired by Tomo Bravo. Um, for a little bit over $3 billion, then went to Turbonomic, which was an incredible, phenomenal company led and run by Ben Nye. Um, they actually recently acquired by IBM for a little bit over $2 billion, so congratulations to Team Turbo. And now I am the Chief Operating Officer at Tenable, and I've been here coming up on a couple of years uh, running and leading the uh, Tenable organization. Oh, great. Um, so o over the past uh, year or so, we've had certainly a lot of, uh, you know, XEMC folks talked about that culture, but certainly, you know, PTC is is, is legendary in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, maybe touch on in terms of how you saw, you know, Medic, uh, yeah. maybe getting spurned out uh, of that. You bet. Yeah, no, PTC was incredible, right? And in the journey that I had there at PTC, you know, was right when they were in that like 300 million up to a billion. So PTC was one of those great stories. They reached a billion dollars in revenue in under 10 years, right? So back then in the 90s, that was quite an accomplishment. Huge. And amazing. And just phenomenal leadership that came out of there. Um, a lot of the mentors and friendships and peers that I have came out of that PTC lineage. Um, and I was lucky enough there. Dick Harrison, who at the time uh, was president, then promoted to CEO, and a guy named Brian Halligan, who was founder of HubSpot, um, you know, a multi-billion dollar software company based out of Boston. I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to work overseas. And so very early in my career, I got a chance to live in New Zealand and open up an office in New Zealand, then moved to Indonesia, ran Southeast Asia, lived in Jakarta, Indonesia for a couple of years, wow. then had the opportunity to live in Germany and uh, ran Central Europe for PTC. And I bring up that international experience because I do think it is phenomenal for up and comers to really understand the way different cultures and the way different organizations come together. And it gives you an appreciation to be able to scale and grow a global organization by actually having boots on the ground and living there and embracing those cultures. And so PTC was just a, a phenomenal ride. And a lot of the med pick uh, that you hear about today, you know, through John McMahon, uh, who's a good friend who just actually wrote a great book, like you wrote a great book. Yep. Um, but when you look at the qualifier, over there. you got it right over there. I love it. I love it. Right. The sales advisor, giving it to all my team, but no, so I've got John's too. Great book. Oh, yeah, John's too. Yeah. I mean, the qualified sales leader, amazing story. John McMahon, you know, legendary uh, software sales leader and uh, just a bunch of people. Not only you know, John McMahon, but John Hanlon, um, John Kaplan, uh, Mike McGinnis. There's just an incredible lineage of folks that ended up becoming CROs, COOs, and CEOs of some of the, the fastest growing companies on the planet. Uh, and then had the opportunity to join EMC, you know, uh, coming from, from, uh, from PTC, which has been fantastic. So I'm lucky enough. I spent about 20 years at two of the biggest, baddest companies in Boston. So I'm a lucky man. There you go. So back, um, I was fortunate as well. I opened up the uh, EMC offices in the UK and then, uh, then Australia. Um, what are any of your kind of takeaways or maybe lessons learned from your international uh, sales experience? Yeah. I mean, I think a couple things I took from the experience was even though when you're at corporate and you think you've got a good sense for some of the issues and challenges that happen, it's actually the further you get away from corporate, the more things get distorted. And you really need to be experiencing it and spending time in country, talking to customers, talking to employees, 
and talking to the partners. Things get done very differently and they get done at different speeds. They get done at different levels of intensity. Um, I can tell you one of the big lessons I learned, especially living in Asia and living in, in Southeast Asia, was patience. You know, I'm younger in my career. I was very aggressive, super high energy. And you really need to understand that you have to have patience. Things happen at a different timetable, a different scale. And I've been able to carry that through my entire career. And then when I was living in Europe, similar, where you have to really understand, you know, what is the culture? How do people want to be communicated? You know, what value do they see in technology? But how do you explain it to them in a different language, in a different culture? Um, and all of those things give you a huge appreciation when you then get to lead global organizations, making sure your communication in regards to your messaging, your positioning, how you're designing and building products that is going to resonate not just in the Americas, in North America, but it's going to resonate in EMEA, in APAC, in LATAM, and, you know, in the, in the public sector. So a lot of patience, you know, I was able to learn that lesson and it happened at the right time in my career, which was pretty early. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, patience is a virtue, as they say, which I totally appreciate. That can be uh, challenging. Um, so, so based on you talk about communications, so what are things now that you do uh, communication-wise with your uh, global team? Yeah, so when you when you take a look at it, in my view, you know, when you look at it from a COO perspective, right? And this just goes with kind of CROs also, because I know your audience has a has a huge following from a CRO perspective. Um, I think the biggest thing that you need to do when we talk about aligning and focus and scaling kind of an enterprise company, it really is about communication. And it's about simplification of the messaging and the positioning. You know, one of the things I hit on all the time with my direct reports and, and the employees is my job as a leader is to what I call remove friction, right? So yeah. remove obstacles and issues from my organization to allow them to move faster and quicker. And one of the biggest parts of that is how you communicate your message, how you communicate your strategy, and really trying to simplify that where you get scale. And again, this goes back to the international experience is not just scaling in the US, but being able to have message and being able to have communications that scale globally. As you try to grow these businesses globally, you want to have consistent content, material, communications that look and feel the same in the US as they do in EMEA and APAC. However, you give that what I call the 10 to 15% rule. We allow the local region, country, and theater to tweak and modify it. But you want that 80 to 85% consistency. And so for me, communication is a massive part of it. And we've done a lot of work at Tenable to really go in and unify the communication, simplify a lot of the messaging and positioning we do to our customers and partners, and really make sure that it can scale right globally so it really resonates in all the different theaters that we support around the globe oh that's great and uh, you're talking about the the message and command the message you know maybe worth giving a shout out to uh force management yes. you know, with uh john kaplan a lot but yeah maybe, no uh, i mean john kaplan a dear friend and, uh, and a mentor and um i am a massive cheerleader advocate of force management um rolled force management out in four different companies and I do think it is absolutely the best of breed, best in class um, implementation of process, communication, and making sure you can scale. And when you take a look at it, the three big pillars that I focus in on, and I'll just use Tenable you know, as an example. Yeah. When I first joined Tenable, we rolled out MedPick. So making sure that everyone was looking at opportunities the same way globally. So. When you think of MedPIC, which is metrics, economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identifying pain, paper process, champions in the competition, you use that qualification tool to coach up your sellers. And it's not a micromanagement tool. It is a tool to define and help drive next steps in the sales process. And to me, it is the easiest, simplest way that you can do a coaching session Right. And be able to help a salesperson move a deal forward by using that simple qualification methodology, which came out of the early days of PTC. The second part of, of force is what's called command of the message. And this is this is huge to me where you want to pull in all different aspects of a company when you're building out messaging and positioning. It really is not just about the sales force, the sales reps and the SEs. When you do a command of the message exercise, 
It's all about pulling in engineering, product management, finance, operations, sales. Everyone comes together collaboratively to build out communication, simplified messaging on use cases, on personas. Think about before and after scenarios. And the most important thing is positive business outcomes. We call them PBOs, positive business outcomes. When you're talking about your solutions, you want to be talking about business outcomes to get you higher in the org, higher deal value, and command of the message really allows you to simplify that. And the third leg of that stool is command of the plan, where now you give all your frontline, second, third line leaders a way to inspect and drive the business with the same metrics, the same analytics, when they're doing territory plans, quota assignments, inspection of the business, what are those KPIs you want consistently measured around the globe? That's where command of the plan comes in. So I said a lot there, but uh, John Kaplan and, and Grant Wilson, that entire team, they do an incredible job aligning companies and organizations to scale and really remove complexity from that process. Yeah, and I, I'll give him a shout out. I should know off the top of my head, but John and or Grant, I know, uh, participated in uh, a best practice in the book as well. Um, so a, a lot of great tidbits there. You, you, you touch on kind of a little bit on, I'll say, the, the value selling concept, but maybe uh, touch on kind of tenable, kind of what you do and how you do it, and uh, maybe frame it up relative to kind of what's the value that you provide. Sure. And I actually say if you're in an elevator for 30 seconds with a CFO, kind of what are you going to say? And it's not yeah. 50 pages of PowerPoints of techno mumbo jumbo. No, absolutely not. I mean, when you when you think about Tenable and you think about the cybersecurity industry, the biggest thing that we do at Tenable is we look at and we measure cyber exposure and we allow them to manage and evaluate risk. So if you think of the landscape today, you think about risk-based vulnerability management, 60% of all breaches happen with malware on known vulnerabilities that haven't been patched. Think about how crazy that is. You know there's a vulnerability on the network, in the asset, on a server, in the cloud, in your Active Directory environment, in your OT environment. You have a vulnerability and you don't patch it. So what we allow companies to do is what we call see, predict, and act. We allow you to see your entire environment, all of your assets, where your critical assets are. We allow you to predict where there is risk, where you need help, where you need assistance, and then be able to act on that to be able to remediate any issues, any vulnerabilities you have. And we're the biggest and the baddest on the planet that do it from a risk-based vulnerability management perspective. So we've got over 30,000 customers. We've got 50% of the Fortune 500, um, the largest market share in the vulnerability management space. And we are growing not just the core risk-based vulnerability management, but we're now going into areas like OT, operational technology. So think of things like factories, manufacturing plants, all of those different areas we go in and we address. We also do it from an active directory perspective. So 93% of companies have active directory. We are able to go in and secure those environments. I'm live. Is that your fire alarm or mine? I think it might be my fire alarm going That's on. Right. I'm just laughing because we've had the same thing. It's free. Of course, it's like the middle of the night. You change all the yeah. you know, batteries and you think everything's fine. It's like, it's I think, like, I think I just got addressed, but yeah. yeah. yeah no, Listen, this, is, this is selling. You need to be audible ready. You exactly. Ready. Yes. You keep, focused, totally. keep the message and positioning the same, but yeah. Our, uh, yeah. Full, uh, full COVID world. So now how do you take kind of the, I'll say maybe what's somewhat technical in terms of what you said, although it's very common sense, yeah. but kind of how do you package that up? Kind of, I'll say from a value selling perspective. Sure. So what we do, what we try to do with our customers is we really try to explain and, and we remove ourselves from the hardcore feature and function discussion, right? When we're talking with CISOs, we want to understand what are their business drivers, right? What are their business outcomes? So if they're looking to roll out a brand new application, Globally, we want to know, okay, what type of revenue are you trying to get out of there? And let's just make sure that you're securing it properly, that you're rolling out your security at a proper speed so you can get the highest value out of that application. So we remove ourselves from the day-to-day. -day. You want to have the day-to-day -day bits and bytes and the decision criteria when you're evaluating a technology, but you want to up-level that discussion and really talk about the business value. And when you look at cyber, right, when you think about the risk and the attack surface, how big the attack surface has gotten based on remote workforce, IT, OT, all of the different areas. 
it's huge and you have to be cognizant and aware of it. So we try to really understand what are the business drivers? What problems are they looking to solve? Where are they trying to go drive revenue and opportunities? And then how can we help them secure those environments quick, fast, right? And make sure that we're delivering value every step of the process. Oh, awesome. And um, you're, you're public. So we, we always have to watch what we say, but I think the uh, valuation, give or take, uh, you know, $4.95, $5 billion. So, uh, Congrats on that that success, and uh, definitely look look forward to uh, things continuing to uh, go up up into the right for sure. Yeah. Um, so, um, kind of just, uh, moving on here. Oh, I always forget. So, um, for those that are watching, uh, feel free to uh, post any questions. You can see us. We cannot see you, as you know, but um, you can go in and uh, you know, post any questions. And we got Tucker. We'll uh, pull them up, and we will do our, our best to address them. So. Uh, feel free to uh, th throw anything there. So um, last week when we were talking, we're, we're both passionate about the topic of uh, mental health. Uh, we had Richard Harris on uh, past a month or two ago that uh, had you know lot, lots of great information. Yeah. And uh, you know today's you know day and age, it's obviously something that's much more aware. You know, personally, I think back and say, geez, you know, you know, if we had this awareness of the things we could have done different or better as a leader, and it sounds like, um, you know, at Tenable, you're leading the charge on a lot of great initiatives. Can you uh, share some of those? Yeah, you bet. It's um, no question about it. It is something that is front and center, right, for all of our employees and for all companies. I mean, through the pandemic, it put a massive amount of stress on everyone, right? And I don't care what level of the organization you were in. It was an unbelievably stressful time period. And as we now, as people are getting vaccinated and we're looking at opening up, you know, our offices, um, we really wanted to focus on mental health. And I'll give a lot of credit to our CEO, Amit Yaran, and our head of our HR, um, Bridget Paradise, that really came up with a, a concept that was somewhat controversial, but ended up having huge payoff and dividends for us, where we actually gave all of our employees around the globe for the month of August and the first week of September, every Friday off. So we had to work some logistics, making sure our customer support was, you know, up and running. Our professional services was delivering. And if there were customer situations, we had to deal with that on one-offs. But we were able to do that. And the amount of positive feedback where our employees were able to kind of decompress, connect with their family and friends, step away from Zoom, um, it had a huge impact. And when you look at how competitive it is for employees around the globe, you really have to differentiate yourselves. And so when you look at mental health, mental awareness, right, well-being, we take that very, very seriously at Tenable. So I think that was a phenomenal step that everyone loved. And we're now looking at other things, you know, having a Zoom-free Friday. So, you know, being doing conference calls, but no Zoom. I'm looking at minimizing or reducing potential internal meetings on Fridays. I'm obviously still having customer activities, but really trying to free people up you know, allow them, you know, to decompress, as I stated, and kind of connect and reconnect with their family and friends. So we are aggressive on that front and we will continue to be aggressive because I think it's something that every company now the new norm. Right. And I, I, I don't think, you know, everyone's going to be running back to the offices. I think we are going to be in this hybrid world forever. And I, I think it's phenomenal. But we do need to keep in mind you now have this mixture of work and personal life blending. And you need yeah. to be very cognizant when you allow employees to maybe tune out, turn off the Zoom and, and spend time with uh, their loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, given the security field that you're in, um, we do, I think we uh, you know, connected back when you're turbo doing recruiting work. So I've got a lot of security companies we'll do recruiting work with, you know, kind of friends at. And it seems like a lot of them are convinced that, hey, you have to come from security in order to yeah, be insecurity as sales or a sales leader. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got you know, a bunch of great friends, uh, you know, Bill Hogan, Frank Roush. I always forget some Mark Paranello, who we had a couple weeks ago, Nick Overhuber, BJ Jenkins just went over to Palo Alto. Sure. Um, you know, so what, what, what's your theory of the necessity to have security DNA to be in sales at a security company? Yeah. No, listen, I mean, being a subject matter, matter expert, I think is important, especially on the SE and the technical side. I think when you look at where the company is in their journey, that really determines whether you need a hardcore, hardcore die-in-the-wool security expert. So I'll give an example. If you're a startup and you're going from you know, zero to that 15 million, you need hardcore, very, very technical, subject matter expert security folks. When you start scaling and growing, 
it's really as you shift and you move away from kind of that hardcore features and benefits discussion and security. And as I talked about earlier with Tenable, what is the business problem you're trying to solve, right? How are you offering up solutions that will allow companies to grow their top line while also protecting their assets? You can then take very talented, very smart folks that come from other industries like infrastructure, um, you know, like storage, for instance, you know, application um, sales, you know, any of those type of areas and move and morph them into security. So, you know, I'm a great example. You know, I was obviously coming from the application software side house at PTC, then the storage side at EMC when we acquired RSA, uh, one of my mentors, you know, Joe Tucci, uh, who was CEO of EMC at the time said, hey, we need enterprise scalability within RSA. We had just acquired RSA. We wanted to take them from 300 million to a billion, buy some companies. But really Joe's big concern was we've got to get enterprise selling scale at RSA. And so that's why I ended up there and, you know, was there for six, almost seven years. And that's where I learned, you know, the security business through uh, another mentor, Coviello. So it really is important, super important um, that you have that solution oriented selling background and DNA, and then you can learn the security technology over time, making sure you're focused on the business outcome for the customer. Great. So kind of summary, having, uh, you want to have the best athlete and, you know, less worrisome about having that, you know, technical expertise. Yeah. I mean, Randy, so if you think about it right today and you look at how fast cyber is growing, if you look at the first half of just 2021, there's been over 1700 publicly disclosed breaches in the first half of 2021, right? So this cyber issue is a massive issue that's not going away. And one of the biggest issues is there simply is not enough trained cybersecurity experts. So when you look at all the job openings for cyber expertise, it's, they're, they're hard to fill. There's not enough. And it's the same from a selling perspective. There's not enough die-in-the-wool, born-and-raised cyber experts. So you have to be able, and I'm a huge believer of enablement and training, you've got to be able to bring in folks you know, that I call have the three H's, right? So they have to have the head, the heart, and hard work, right? The head, they have to have the smarts, the yeah. intelligence. They have to have heart, meaning passion, enthusiasm, high energy level. And then they have to have the unbelievable hard work ethic. And when you find that, you can then enable and train on the value proposition, on the solutions from a cyber perspective. Um, and folks like that can have incredible careers in cyber. And, and I tell all young up and comers, I said, if you want to be guaranteed a job in life that is very well paying, that there'll always be a demand for, start taking cyber classes in college, start learning cyber. Uh, it is an unbelievable industry that's only going to get bigger and bigger over time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, we got a question here from Patrick. And um, again, feel free, please uh, post, post any questions and uh, Tucker will pull them over for us. So uh, Patrick asks, uh, with regard to selling security solutions, what's your perspective on balancing selling the value of your solutions versus selling on the negative repercussions of vulnerabilities since they are not mutually exclusive? Yeah. No, awesome question. Awesome question. And you do need to balance it, right? One of the one of the downsides in security is sometimes when you're dealing with executives, they feel like security vendors are selling on fear. Like, hey, if you don't buy our solution, you're going to get breached. You're going to get attacked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're absolutely exposed and you're really trying to capitalize on that fear, which I am not a fan of. I, I do not want to sell that way. I don't want anyone within our organization. And I don't think... Yeah. We approach that 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 type of aspect that tenable. Again, it goes back to you really have to understand what business problem that customer is trying to solve. And by securing whether it's their physical infrastructure and their data center, whether it's their cloud environment, their OT environment, their active directory environment, what are you enabling by securing those environments? And then what is that business impact, right? What is that positive business outcome that they can drive? by securing those assets. And that's what we really try to focus at Tenable. We spend a huge amount of time talking with our executives, talking with our champions, and honing in on those positive business outcomes. And that's really how we do it. I mean, that's where we spend the bulk of our time understanding that. That's great. Um, th thanks so much, Patrick. So uh, maybe shift over to, uh, we we've talked a lot about these uh, sales tech stack tools 
Mark Thompson says, great discussion, gents. Thanks, Mark. Mark, feel free to ask a question. Um, I mean, it's just crazy, right? You go back 10 years ago, you had kind of Salesforce, maybe, you know, LinkedIn. And then as I've kind of, you know, uh, you know done work with the book and with sales community, uh, just amazing. I mean, you've got in the last five, 10 years, kind of, you know, kind of hundreds or thousands of these, uh, you know, sales tech stack tools. Uh, can you talk about maybe uh, some you're using, how to use it, what, sure. what do you like, don't you like, do you wish you had, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, so we, we have a ton, right? And, and I've had experience with the whole technology stack, the, stack, the marketing uh, technology stack, and the evolution is ridiculous. And there seems like someone's popping up every single day. And when you look at Tenable and, and what I've used in the past life, obviously for me personally, it's always been centered around salesforce.com, right? So yeah. um, making sure that you have a clean, pristine, accurate Salesforce. Um, and sometimes that's challenging to get to, but that's where it all starts because that's where everything builds from. Um, but then, you know, we use technologies like Drift and we use technologies like Groove. Uh, we use uh, DemandBase. Um, we use Sendeso. Um, so those are technologies that allow for more visibility. So, so the key here, right, and I talked about this in the beginning about removing friction. What I try to do is free up as much time as possible for my sellers to go talk to partners and customers as humanly possible. And so if I can drive automation in the technology stack that allows them to look at an account, look at an opportunity, be able to define what the next step is, be able to get good clean visibility on the MQL, SQL conversions, be able to communicate with their team selling approach that we have a tenable with their SDRs, their field marketing person, their demand gen folks, their CSM, customer success manager. All of that is, if you think about the way it was done, you know, Randy, when you and I were growing up in sales, it was all done with spreadsheets. It was all done with conversations in the office. And now you can have it automated and you can have it simplified. And so the communication, the speed to execute is exponentially faster than it ever was. And it needs to be, right? It needs to be at that level because the younger generation that's coming in, they want this type of automation. They want this type of simplicity. Um, and, you know, we're scaling and growing very quickly. You need to make sure you're investing in those tools. And what I will tell you, if you don't, you will lose people pretty quick, right? Especially with some of the younger sellers that are coming up. They want to use the most modern applications, the most modern tools. They want automation. They do not have a tolerance or patience for a lot of manual processes. Yeah. And so it's kind of keeping us all honest to make sure that we're investing in our technology stack in our rev operations to make sure that it's happening at lightning speed, you know, to make sure our sellers are efficient where they can go out and, and drive communication with customers and partners. Yeah, absolutely. One I'll give a shout out to is, you know, we're talking about freeing up time uh, Dually, which we'll talk offline, but it's a cool company that helps decrease the amount of time that um, sales teams need to be, um, you know, messing around with uh, Salesforce. And I think they have something where they, they can save kind of four, four or five hours uh uh, a week, which is uh, no, in, interesting and uh, and compelling. I mean, just think about that, quantifying that over Salesforce of 700 sellers. So think of the productivity and efficiency gains, four hours, 700 sellers, right? The math adds up pretty quick and gives you a great, you know, return on investment. And, you know, that's solution selling. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now maybe uh, sh shifting over to marketing, yeah. Um, you know, diff different, uh, you know, guests have said it's, um, you know, kind of friction, not friction. I know you've got kind of both, both reporting into you. So I'm sure you have to give the, the nice political answer, but maybe talk about how you've seen marketing evolve from a, you know, kind of ROI perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, traditionally you had these, you know, MQLs, which, you know, you go back, you know, maybe even a few years ago, we're kind of, you know, BS most of the time. Now you want more kind of SQLs. It's really tied with real metrics, with real ROI. So maybe kind of just to touch on that uh, subject. Yeah. So just a, a couple points there. And I hit on this a little bit in the beginning, right? And, and I am a massive believer, right? That you have to have this alignment, right? And I talked about how you need to align for scale. Well, marketing and sales is one of the biggest areas and they, they arguably are the most closely linked. Yep. And if you don't have that alignment, you are going to suffer. If there's kind of throwing it over the wall, marketing creates a message or marketing creates a lead and it gets thrown over the wall and there isn't the proper automation, there isn't the proper communication, you're going to lose out on a significant amount of money in your lead gen. And what we have seen, and this has really changed, right? Obviously through the pandemic also, 
is this shift to digital marketing. So you look at when, again, maybe when you and I were kind of growing up and through it, and even kind of up to the pandemic, a lot of our leads came in through field marketing. So expensive events, not a super high rate of conversion, lots of travel, lots of cost. When we shifted to digital, I mean, it's been a beautiful thing. We now can really, it's a science, it's, it's mathematics now. We can really look at lead conversion, we can look at the waterfall, we can understand what events have payoff, what our conversion rates are on every different event that we do around the globe, and be able to communicate to that local regional manager in Germany, hey, these four events that we did in Spain could resonate, and here's the conversion, which is typically two to three X higher than the in-person field marketing events, and let's go drive that. And so, again, it goes back to that technology stack because the numbers add up quick, right? There's so many different events. There's all these different things you need to look at for conversion rates. Being able to simplify it, being able to visualize it so those managers can make smart business decisions. And what we see now is the collaboration between our digital field marketing team and our regional-based RDs. These folks are talking every single day. And that is, it's phenomenal. And it allows for better messaging and positioning to our customer base, our prospect base, and obviously, you know, to our channel and partner community, which we're, you know, 100% partner company. Um, so that's really been important. Great. Ken Groey, uh, great uh, sales leader, past TSI guest at uh, Taos now doing a great job. Ken uh, is fantastic. Everyone watch Ken's clips on Fridays. He's got these great LinkedIn uh Quick 30, 40 seconds. I love those things. Yeah, they're great. Thanks, Ken. Uh, great, great shout out. So you're talking about the uh, partner side, 100% partner. Talk about how that motion works. And, uh, you know, culturally, when you hire reps, you, know, you might have a strong enterprise rep, but there's kind of a different DNA yeah. of ones that can kind of, you know, work the channel and then users, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And I'll tell you, it's one of the, the first companies that I've actually been part of that had a 100% channel strategy embedded in their DNA. So they've been like they've been this way ever since they were started. So if you think about some of the early EMC days, obviously the early PTC days, um, it was a lot of direct selling and some conflict. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit, just a tiny bit, right? Uh, so it was pretty intense, right? And then you looked at it evolved. And now if you look at like a PTC or if you look at an EMC, now Dell, you know, everything is through partners, right? Or the majority of their business. And I think when you look at it from a tenable perspective, it is absolutely, I use this term all the time, it is freeing. And what I mean by freeing is there is no debate. There is no argument. Our channel community knows they should align with Tenable because we are never going to take a deal direct. We're going to be aligned with them. Our DNA is built around the channel. When I create enablement and training content for our internal sellers, we take the exact material and we do it with our channel partners, right? So there is no, here's a channel, you know, plan here's a direct plan it's all one and that gives us credibility so you see a lot of partners want to come and work with us because they know there isn't going to be dysfunction we're not going to you know do a, a deal 90 percent down the road trying to close a deal and then we take a threat that does not happen at tenable and that has allowed us it's allowed tenable to scale and grow right around the globe at a really fast pace because the reputation and you can talk to the channel partners that Tenable has is phenomenal. And so partners want to do business with us. So when we continue to acquire companies, you know, we, we bought an active director company, we bought an operational technology company, we're able to go out and recruit partners that might not have worked with us before. And then we use other partners as references saying, hey, we're 100% partner driven. Talk to these five partners. They'll tell you what our DNA, what our culture is all about. And it helps us once we acquire a company to scale it because we can then put them into our channel program and they get instant leverage around the globe overnight with a very committed, dedicated, and most important, well-enabled partner community. So it, it's awesome. It, it's freeing. It, it really is freeing. There you go. And uh, Mark Thompson just asked a question. What about the solar winds breach? Could this have been prevented? Yeah, I mean, listen, Yeah, I'm not going to get into the hardcore detail of whether it could be prevented. I think when you do the analysis and you see some of the material that came up from FireEye, you know, that did all the remediation work on SolarWinds, there were definitely opportunities um, to strengthen their security posture, to strengthen their security controls. Um, you know, so obviously that was a highly visible breach. But as I highlighted, there's been over 1,700 publicly disclosed breaches 
in the first half of 2021, right? So this is a, a issue that all companies and governments have around the globe. You really, with this massive, you know, threat landscape and the exposure being so big based on cloud, based on IoT, you know, based on all of these applications, you really, the threat landscape is so large, you've got to take the right steps to lock down your environments, be able to make sure you're securing those environments. And so, yep, SolarWinds caught a lot of attention, a lot of visibility, um, but every company, right, can do better in regard to looking at their cyber exposure, their cyber risk, but also do the basics. Like, think about what I said before. 60% of breaches happen on known vulnerabilities on unpatched systems. Think about that. If you patch those systems, you look at the risk, you look at the vulnerability, and if you have a vulnerability that has a high risk score, you patch it immediately. That doesn't happen around the globe. So we call this kind of back to basics and security. You've got to do the security hygiene. And if every company did security hygiene, hygiene, trained their employees, did the basic blocking and tackling, you know, we would be a much, much more secure, you know, world and, and the businesses would be a lot more secure out there. There you go. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so going back on the uh, partner side, how do you police kind of channel conflict? Is that something you have in the field? You have a channel team? Uh, kind of how, do, how does yep. that work? So we've got a phenomenal channel team, you know, led by uh, a gentleman named Jeff Brooks and Terry Dolce, um, who are unbelievable channel pros. And we've got, you know, close to 55 different channel employees spread throughout the globe. So we invest a lot into our channel. And again, they're I got to be honest, we don't have a massive amount of channel conflict. Um, when we do have it, you know, we will try to weigh on the side of the partner, right? This is a relationship, right, that we're building. And we know one of the key attributes of why Tenable has been so successful is our ecosystem, is our partner system. So if we have a challenge, if there's a, an issue, if there's a, a problem in the field, we communicate directly. We talk to a lot of the senior executives within those partners. We have deep, deep relationships. We do a lot, Randy, on a quarterly basis doing QBRs. We do executive roundtables. We have, you know, a partner advisory board. So we are very much embedded with that partner community. And so if there is an issue or challenge, they know typically 90% of the time it will get taken care of in the field with the local resources because they have relationships, you know, in the country, in the region. Um, and if there ever is an escalation that gets to my level, you know, I'm going to weigh on the side of the partner. I, I want to be able to keep those relationships and be able to continue to, to drive, you know, trust within that community. That's great. So if you had, uh, you certainly have said a lot of great things, but say if I'm a channel partner that's looking at going with Tenable versus one of your competitors, uh, anything else that you would add in terms of the kind of value of going with Tenable? No, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think the biggest thing, right, is A, obviously we're 100% direct, but I think for any channel partner out there, it's all about aligning around the right technology, right? So making sure that you are partnering with the best in class, the best of breed. And when you look at Tenable, we're the, the largest vulnerability management company on the planet. We have the largest market share uh, on the planet. We've got over 30,000 customers. Um, Forrester, Gardner rank us number one in their quadrants. So it's really about aligning you know, with the best player in the space. And we're continuing to buy technologies that give us larger parts of bigger TAMs. So the Active Directory TAM is a multi-billion dollar TAM. The OT TAM is a multi-billion dollar TAM. So I think first and foremost, you look at it partnering with the best in class technology. Then it's all about that DNA of being 100% through the partners. We do a huge amount of enablement and training. So it is unacceptable for us to sign up a partner and then not train and enable the SE the salesperson, the sales director, they have multiple products they can sell in position, right? Sometimes their rate cards have, or their, their, their vendor cards have 30, 40 vendors on it. If they're ever gonna be able to position and sell our technology and talk about positive business outcomes, we need to invest in enablement and training. And so we track that. So when we sign up a partner, we look at how many of their SEs are trained on our technology, how many of the sellers, how many of their sales management, and we offer that up and, and we do a lot of obviously digital learning um, and, you know, in-person learning, you know, before the pandemic. And so we'll continue to do that. That's great. And presumably there's a decent, you don't have to say the numbers, but I assume there's a decent margin profile in there as well. Yeah. Awesome margin profile. Again, you know, thinking about everything we do is centered around the partner. 
So we obviously take partner margin very seriously. And I, I think the partners that have been with us, you know, for 10, 11, 12, 13 years, they stick with us um, because they do run an extremely profitable business uh, by leading with and driving, you know, tenable software sales. Yeah, that's great. What about now talking about uh, maybe SDRs going down to individual contributors? Um, yeah. What kind of words of wisdom do you have for uh, those folks in order to have them be successful and ha have a great career? Sure. So love, love, obviously the SDR, BDRs, you know, whatever terminology your company uses. I'm a huge, massive believer. You know, if you look at, you know, I, I look at EMC and, and look at some of the success that EMC had. You know, I'll give a lot of credit to a gentleman named Ed Philippine, who kind of built out that inside sales model SDR org within EMC. And you look at a lot of leaders that are at Dell today. They came up through that SDR inside sales organization. And kind of it's awesome to see, you know, these folks that have that journey. And, you know, we're trying to do the same type of things at Tenable. So we've got a large SDR org um, with a phenomenal leader that really focuses on development. Right. So there's lots of activities that SDR BDRs can do, but really it's about developing those folks because they have a lot of different options when they're coming out of school and maybe they've been in the market for one or two years. There's a lot of different opportunities, especially if they have the right attitude. Right. If they have what I talked about, they have the head, if they have the heart and the hard work ethic, they're going to have opportunities. And so what we do at Tenable is we spend a massive amount on enablement and training of our SDRs. And so when they come in, there's a very strict curriculum that we stick to that trains them, that enables them not only on how to qualify a lead, how to communicate with the customer, you know, how to work with a partner, but we train them on the technology. So what we typically see is once an SDR is able to get promoted, maybe doing commercial sales, they're very technical. They know the technology inside and out. Um, they know how to communicate and they actually are fantastic communicating digitally remotely because it's a lot how a lot of them were kind of born and raised yeah. you know as they kind of came up through college it's very familiar to them to do classes on zoom and, and do remote learning so we put a lot of investment there um, we do a lot of mentoring um, so we try to map up our SDRs BDRs with mentors within the company um, we really you know try to drive that and it is a feeder system they do an amazing job driving pipeline qualifying deals um, but they also are a great feeder system for our organization. And so we do promote not only into our sales org, but into our CSM org, our customer success management org that handles our renewals. And a lot of our SDRs go into that org and, you know, have branched off and, and have incredible careers. So I'm a huge believer. And actually in today in the digital world where you're not doing as much face to face, it's a, it's a great way to bring employees at a reasonable cost train, enable them. They stay actually more loyal to the company. They're more likely to stay with you for the long term. Um, and obviously, once you promote them, they become highly productive quickly. It's not like trying to recruit someone in from the outside and train them up on your company and your culture and your technology. Yeah. What about, that was great. What about any, uh, you know, some of it may be similar, but anything different that you would add for words of wisdom talking to individual sales reps? I mean, you know, when you take a look at the sales reps, it, 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 they, they have, I think, have an incredible opportunity in front of them if they adopt what I'm calling kind of this new wave post-pandemic, right? So I'm a big believer that things are not going to go back to the way they were. I do feel like you will have, obviously, in-person selling. But I think the days of building those in-person, deep, deep, deep relationships with customers just aren't going to be there. I think customers are very comfortable being able to look at, evaluate, and buy complex technology digitally and remotely. We have closed many, many seven-figure deals over Zoom. We have acquired companies. The company we acquired in France called Alcid, we did that entire deal all remote via Zoom, right? I mean, you look at, you know, when what? Yeah. Uh, What's uh, Salesforce.com and they bought Slack. I think it was a $28 billion acquisition. They didn't have any face-to-face -face meetings from what I heard via the grapevine. Yeah. So I, I really feel like this is the new norm. And I think so for sellers, um, for territory managers, for sales reps, you've got to approach right, this new world aggressively. You've got to learn how you communicate you know, digitally, remotely. You have to understand your technology, I think, a little bit better than you might have done before where maybe you could have relied on a relationship. Um, to help you get a deal done. Now you've got to really focus in on that solution selling. You have to sharpen your sword in regard to talking about what I've hit numerous times, the positive business outcomes. 
What are the what are going to be the negative consequences if they don't move forward with your technology? How do you build champions digitally, remotely? How does that happen? You know, how do you go in and define super clean, crisp decision criteria when you and your SE are doing it all over Zoom? These are all things that we see very successful reps doing. And I do think I have seen a few of the older school reps that haven't adopted it. They struggle a little bit. And I think they either going to have to get on board with this new world, this new environment, or quite honestly, they'll be left behind. Gotcha. Well, well said. So uh, I think the uh, not so subtle messages for any of those that are in the tenable team that are the uh, uh, more, more uh, old school folks kind of get, get with the new way and you can be re real, real successful. And I'm sure they're getting a coaching accordingly. Um, so talking about coaching, uh, what about with your journey, any kind of coaching or advice that you've received that's had a profound impact on you? Yeah. So there's a couple. So I've, got, I've been lucky enough with not only mentors, but a lot of peers. Right. So I, I've actually relied a lot on my peer group um, and a lot of mentors. But, you know, John Hanlon was a phenomenal you know, peer boss of mine and became a very close friend. And I've got a lot of good advice. Um, Art Coviello, who was the CEO of RSA, phenomenal mentor, got a lot of great advice. Um, Dick Harrison, the CEO of PTC, John McMahon. There's been a bunch. I think some of the best mentoring and advice that I got was from Joe Tucci, who was the CEO of EMC. And I was lucky enough um, to create a relationship with Joe. Where we would sit down once or twice every quarter. Um, and we would spend an hour, sometimes two, talking about business, talking about strategy. And, and some of the best advice he ever gave me was talking about leadership styles. And Joe framed it up saying there's two type of leaders. You have an influential leader. And you have a command and control leader. And Joe really walked me through saying command and control is very simple, right? It's like the military. If you're at the top and you tell your troops what to do, if you're a command and control leader, they're going to do it because that's the structure you have in place. And that's an easy leadership style to develop and drive. As we were acquiring lots of companies at EMC and literally over 100 companies over 10 years, Joe would always point out is you might not own that resource you might not own that employee base but it's as a leader you have to influence them you have to have them do what you want to do even though they're not a direct line to you on an organizational chart and joe walked me through all these scenarios on how you've got to build that muscle it's the hardest leadership style there is is being able to influence and being able to have folks that don't directly report to you do what you need them to do to be successful and Joe, I think, was an absolute master. I mean, I think he's one of the greatest CEOs of all time. But Joe, I think, was able to be an influential leader and in take EMC, you know, along with Billy Scandal and other folks to the next level. Um, and that is some advice that I took from Joe that I talk to my employees about all the time. Command and control leadership, influential leadership. Joe, you know, lived that every day and I think was one of the best in the world at doing it. Yeah, that's great. Well said. One thing always just drive me up a wall, especially maybe more the California cent centric cultures, is this kind of you know passive aggressive. Like, okay, let's make sure, get your feelings, let's talk about everything. Okay, you know, let's okay, we're gonna make a decision. Yes, okay, we're decide, okay, now we go. And then all of a sudden you hear something the next week, like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, we already agreed, we decided, well, you know, I'm like, okay, you just gotta, you know, kind of come up and make sure you get everybody. Yeah, I guess kind of the opinions and thoughts. And then yeah. when they decide that then you decide and yeah, if there's continued issues, obviously you can uh, uh, upgrade them, but absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you experienced that, but um, let's see here. So uh, I uh, left a shout out. So uh, Patrick also had said uh, working for Ed Philippine was excellent. Same with Jim M. Who's Jim Jimmy, M? Jimmy, Jimmy McInerney. So Jimmy M is one of the best. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was a teammate with Ed. He helped uh, Ed build that. I mean, Ed, yep. Ed, in my opinion, the godfather of inside sales, SDRs, and EMC. But Jimmy Mack, Jim McInerney did a great job. And Jimmy McInerney also worked at Turbonomic, which he did yeah. an incredible job building out some of the early days of the sales process and the inside sales team at Turbonomic, along with Steve Corndell, you know, Ben Nye, that entire team at Turbo are rock stars. But Jim McInerney is, is an amazing, amazing sales leader. Yeah, great. Well said. And uh, yeah, we had Cornell on uh, yeah a month or two ago, and he, he did a great job. Um, so any advice that you would give your younger self if you go back, uh, won't reveal ages, but you know, say, say you go back you know, to 20, 30 years and say, geez, I wish somebody would have told me this, I would have done this or would have done that different or better? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you take a look at it, it's, uh, you know, 
to me, it's all about enablement, training, and work ethic. And what I mean by that is, is when you're coming up, and especially with how complex some of these technologies are and these solutions are, you always have to be at the tip of the spear in regard to the training and the enablement to catch these trends. And if, if you don't, if you don't have that desire to learn, if you don't have that desire to always be, be, be learning about different categories, different spaces, different technologies, I really feel like you're, you're going to be you're going to be left behind. And what it always circles back to, and I, I talk about this with my kids, quite honestly, I've got three kids and we talk about this all the time. It's about the work ethic and the discipline. Like it's that simple. I wish there was like another cool, sexy way to put it, but it's how hard are you willing to work? How disciplined are you in your approach? Yep. And if you're able to do that work ethic along with the discipline and be that constant learner, right? That always wants to learn more, be that sponge, you know, you're going to be unbelievably successful, you know? And if I look back at, at, at my time, you know, I probably wish I had spent more time, you know, on enablement, on training, um, learning the technology. You know, that's probably one bit of advice I would give. But um, I tell everyone, like, it isn't rocket science. You know, nine times out of 10, the person that has the, the highest level of desire, right, the person that is extremely disciplined, and the person that literally works twice as hard as the person next to them is going to be the most successful. And, and I believe that, you know, with every fiber of my being. Yep. Dick Egan used to say, the uh, harder you work, the luckier you get. No question about it. It's, uh, it's, it's proven time and time again, not just in business, but in academics and sports and in life, it, it really, you know, you kind of, I always sit there and think, wow, I wish I could have a better answer. Cause I get this all the time with employees and customers and partners, but I, I really, I always come back to discipline and work ethic. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well, um, you've been a fantastic guest, Mark. Thank you so much. Um, so maybe it's closing nor usually asks this question. So maybe a little, uh, weird for me, but any, um, kind of funny or whatever story about, uh, about me. Randy. No, well, first and foremost, Randy is, first of all, congratulations to you for the amazing book, right? Sales Advisor, incredible book, and it's like a Bible for sellers. So if you haven't read it, I, I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, the second thing that I think Randy does, I'm going to say some nice things. Uh, first is Randy, I, I think, is one of the most genuine people, right? So Randy and I didn't really have a relationship, and he was very gracious helping me navigate, you know, with my younger son, a, a process looking at a certain school and was extremely gracious, extremely helpful. Um, and I think is one of the best networkers. His reputation up here in Boston is incredible. He's one of the best networkers in high tech. So amazing there. I will tell everyone though, when you meet with Randy, be prepared to come away with four or five different action items and follow up from all the different companies that he networks and partners with. So you could have a 10 minute conversation with Randy, but you're gonna come out with four or five contacts and follow up and meetings that you need to jump on within 24 hours. So just a little bit of word of advice. That's all fair, but hopefully it's all trying to add value for you and your team. Uh, 100%. And, and the uh, valuation of, uh, of Tenable for, first and foremost. So no uh, Mark Thurman, Chief Operating Officer Tenable, you have had a great career. Look forward to a fantastic future for you. And uh, you know, thanks so much for your, your time. And uh, for those that are listening, feel free to share. We get a lot of views uh, after the fact. Any comments and anything uh, either of us can do to help, certainly happy to. Uh, for those that don't have the book, feel free to get it. And uh, certainly don't forget to check out salescommunity.com uh, where sales uh, professionals can go to learn more and sell more. So Mark, thanks, really appreciate it. And then uh, Tucker, uh, shout out uh, behind the uh, screen here, uh, helping us navigate everything. So uh, Tucker, thanks to you as well. So. Everybody uh, have a great week. Uh, what's left of it? Thank you, Randy. Cheers. Right. Appreciate Cheers. it.